0: Kane is there, and so is Waniyama! A home debut goal. That's a good one. Okay. Okay. Here's the box. We have a... a... Goal! Musabara of Bologna has made it 2-0 to the Scorpions. It's an empty stadium, but the roofs of the Independence stadium are coming down. I can fool! I use ball again. Again, It's really It's absolutely brilliant. And Kunis takes advantage. And Garner in total command here. header, St. George. Now Heidemann. Cuts it in. Adriano Leon. What a hit! What a great goal! Canada take the lead, and it's Adriana Leon with a rocket into the top corner. Larry gathering it in. Does Canada look to find some early momentum? Well, Davies arriving! Oh! So a Kenyan, a Gambian, and a Canadian Ghanaian walk into a. No, this isn't a joke, guys. This is literally the intro. Um... <laughs> Yo, so back, and enjoy us, man. We talk a lot of football. We got our takes. Uh, we support different clubs everywhere, and honestly, it's all about African and Canadian football overall. So enjoy the conversation. We'll bring on guests. We'll have different conversations, but it's really just about where the sport is and where it could go. So sit back and enjoy this week's episode. You know what? Let's get into this. <laughs> Let's have a Canadian check-in right now. There's you know, a lot of interesting Canadian stuff happening. We have the uh, women who are still applying for their equal distribution, which, you know what? I don't disagree with. I see the point that they're making. You don't want to have your funds cut the year of a world cup coming through. You have the U17 to We're recording this on a Sunday night, which means we know who they're playing. They're playing Puerto Rico. Probably one of the better of the uh, fourth place teams. Uh, So the pre-qualifiers, they beat Costa Rica in penalties, which means they're going to be facing Canada. And the winner of that game gets to go to the U-17 World Cup. And we actually put out a video on CONCACAF uh, qualifiers. Now they're changing. So make sure you check that out on YouTube. Um, The the format is changing to, to run it down really quickly. Instead of tournaments like they do now, what they are doing is they're following the format that they use for Concacaf W. So you're going to have six groups with five to six teams in each, and they're all going to play one game each. The winner of the group moves on to the championship round. So there's a qualifier round that's actually for the women's U twenty. It's starting in April, fourteenth to the twenty third, I believe. So You have that, so you have a group. You play everyone one time. Whoever wins that group goes to the championship round. And then you go, and at that point, you play in two groups of four. Uh, Top two teams make it to the semis. And then for the women's side, top three teams make it to the World Cup for that age group. And then you go from there. Now, what also makes that important is... I'm jumping right into it, so guys, sorry about that. Um, If you haven't, you know, subscribe here. uh, Leave a... <laughs> this is so everywhere. I apologize. There's so many thoughts here. But to finish off the thought, once... If you finish top two, you get a buy to the championship round. So because Canada, for their U-20s, on the women's side, and their U-17s, this will apply to them there. Because they finish in third place, they have to go through the qualifying round. So... There's incentives to finishing top two, uh, and I think that's that's actually an interesting way. Do I like it, per se? I don't necessarily like it, because you're just adding an additional game, and you're adding more teams. Yes, you're giving teams more competitive matches. Uh, I personally, and I know there's a bit of a flaw with this, I personally would have enjoyed if they could have incorporated some type of home and away. You know, actually have teams have to play home and away in that sense, so if you're playing three games, if you playing five games, you play either two home or three away, or three home and two away. And I think that would have been an interesting factor to kind of integrate both programs and teams. Now, not everyone has the same facilities, and that is definitely a problem you can see around, especially a region like CONCACAF. The other thing is, how do you get around the squads? And I think that's where it gets complicated, and that's where it loses a little bit of its feasibility. Unless you do something from the standpoint of you have every team set like a 40 to 50 player squad, a pool, so to speak, and they can select from that pool. And they can only select from that pool up until the championship round, especially going from the back and forths. I think if they did something like that, that would make it interesting, but it's not without its flaw. So all that to say, because of the new uh, format that's there, um, there is incentives to finish top two because if you improve your rankings, you give yourself the opportunity to not have to go through qualifiers. You can just go straight to the end, which either works or doesn't. And we kind of see that from there. And then we just have, you know, we have what's happening in Europe and the European leagues, we had the first round of the Champions League going on, of it resuming, some great matchups, some great results. We got the Premier League, Manchester United is for sale again. Maybe not, according to some reports. And, yeah, I a lot to talk about, a lot to go through. But, yeah, so I want to give a quick Canadian update. But before I go to Canada, you know, I got to – we've missed a lot. Um, I do want to spend a little bit of time on um, – the earthquakes that happen in that happen in the Syria, Turkey, and the surrounding areas. And I want to spend a little time there just because, I mean, there is news that does affect me. Um, if you don't know, Ghanaian uh, descent. Um, and There was a lot of news on Christian Atsu. Um, Christian Atsu is a winger who played for the Ghanaian national team. Uh, he actually recently retired, so I wanted to focus on his career and play. Um, He played in uh, Portugal at Porto. He then went on and played in England for Newcastle, Chelsea, a little bit for Everton. Newcastle was his last club. And then he went over. He played in the uh, Saudi League for a little bit, but then he went to Turkey. And he was missing. And then we had a whole slew of just misreports, false reports. And that caused a lot. And, you know, especially in natural disasters, especially earthquakes, you know, as the days go on, it does affect and change, you know, your likelihood of survival. But there was a report uh, two days afterwards that they had found him, but then he was in the hospital. And then at the end of the day, it was confirmed it wasn't him, it was mistaken identity. And then there were some people who were reporting it just the whole situation to me was a reminder and someone who you know procures gives his thoughts and also talks a little bit about um, you know teams and tries to provide information I have people who send me information and I try to vet it as much as possible before I go out and say it but it's just a reminder just of how quickly misinformation spreads and it is such an, it was such an emotional rollercoaster I know a lot of people in Ghana are upset because not only was he a good footballer, he wasn't world-class by any means. He was a good footballer, but the person he was off the pitch mattered. Now, the person, um, his humanitarian work, all those things left a great impact. And he leaves behind a wife and two sons. And it's, it's sad that a player that was so loved and everyone appreciated is one of many and he's a footnote he's maybe the most famous person and he was getting a lot of news and i remember as more news of that was going through i was also tweeting but i mean he's one person so far i think the number is about 41,000 people who have passed due to this earthquake and it's such a big number so i don't know to me, it felt a little weird that we were focusing on him. Maybe he was the most famous person there. But, I mean, every person they were rescuing was just, I mean, it's a vote of encouragement. Um, but the fact we were focused on him wasn't a bad thing, but it just felt there was so much going on for it that for us to focus just on him. And the reason we focused on him was because the news varied. You had one person saying he is found, and to just watch it like you'd have different newscasts. CNN even reported he was found. The Guardian reported he was found, and then had to retract that because he wasn't indeed found. Just how information can so quickly spread, and if it's not the right one, it's just such an emotional roller coaster. So you know, I had to think a little bit about myself in terms of like how am I presenting information. Am I doing? Again, I have people who send me information from very, very reliable sources, but I tend not to always run with it just because I want to. I want to. I don't want to put out misinformation, right? I want to confirm things. If that means I miss out on breaking news, yeah, sometimes it it sucks. You know, if you're the one who breaks the news, then you're the person whose face gets there, and then this type of a industry in this type of a medium it, it, it doesn't matter about where it's coming from the source matters because the source builds that credibility but i don't want to be someone who pushes that and especially in light of like natural disasters events like that you know you want to always confirm as best so i mean i want to take this moment again if you haven't thought about how you can help out like, it's been two weeks i know a lot of it seems to have just kind of passed and moved We've moved on to things that usually happen There's always something bigger that happens. It's always something that just takes over the airways. But no, those people are still um, struggling with what they're doing. Um, I know the Turkish League has suspended some teams. But if you are looking, you look up your local uh, humanitarian group, whether that's the Red Cross, um, organizations who administer uh, aid for natural disasters, UNICEF, things like that. Check in to see how you guys can support, um, because just because we're not thinking about it doesn't mean that it's not over. So just wanted to start off, you know, leaning with that. And again, we've missed a lot of things that have happened, so let's kind of cover everything. the The women' national team in Canada uh, went on strike, um, and then essentially we're told that they couldn't go on strike because uh, there would be a breach of contract and. We learned learned a lot of things. And, you know, I I tweeted about it earlier. Uh, I I definitely, I always side with players. That's something with me. I've seen too many uh, federation situations where for me to just blindly trust the federation in terms of what they're saying. Do I think that the women have gone about this the right way? I, I think there's no perfect way to protest. Um, if there was a perfect way to protest, there wouldn't be a protest because it would be comfortable for everyone, and we would just kind of move on. So there isn't a perfect way to do it. So you use the tools that you have that you have um, afforded to you, and you do your best with it. This all started with the notion that, and, and it's something I said like I I made the twenty three uh. 23 resolutions for 2023. One of them was signing the the agreement with both national teams and clearly we're not close to doing that. And what what sparked this more was just the notion that their funding was getting cut in the year of a World Cup. Now, initially there was a lot of just pointing at um, you know, the spending 2021. And the spending looking at the spending numbers is is a little misleading in a sense because you are looking at Right? You are looking at spending in 2021 during a pandemic where the fees that you spent, you weren't always going to see return on them. Right, You have Canada having to play games in, in Florida and in Chicago where they have to rent out full stadiums but can't recoup any of the costs because you can't have any spectators. So that's going to run your price up. Right, You have to travel during a pandemic, which... In some cases was cheap, but in other cases wasn't wasn't as uh, affordable as other things. So looking at those numbers, just looking at it, say that's the issue. I, I think most people look at that, and we're right. It, you can't narrow it down to that. You can look at it whether it's from a standpoint of um, allocating equal resources to what they're doing. Does that mean dollars in, dollars out? You want the same amount allocated? Maybe some people do. Maybe some people don't. But I think if you're looking at preparation, and one thing that will always harp on a federation is camps are their lifeblood. If you aren't running camps, you aren't giving your coaches the opportunities to see players. And, and I've had this conversation, especially on the women's side, where I'll look at the team that Bev brings in, right? And my one criticism of Canada soccer on the women's side, I mean, and this, this could easily divulge into another rant and another left field turn. So I'm going to try to keep this straight. The squad that Bev usually brings in usually is very consistent. And I don't necessarily blame a coach who trusts what she knows when she thinks she's not going to have the opportunity to see something else, right? I can't be mad at someone who only picks the reliable thing versus using the other tool because she needs to get the job done and she doesn't know how many other chances she's going to get. It sucks because then we have situations like a player like Victoria Pickett who feels like it's what, player 29 on the depth chart and just hasn't got her opportunity with the team. Right, You see a player like uh, Sarah Stratagakis or Clarissa Laracy who who've made squads but haven't had the opportunities to play and showcase. Now, granted, you have to be able to perform um, in training. There's no doubt about that. But in order to see them in game situations, now, it's unfortunate that we haven't been able to see those types of players. Now, one thing I've always said, especially on the women's side, whether it's fair or not, I mean, today we just celebrated Jenny Becky's 100th cap. The fact you have players who have already hundred caps and who are under twenty four, under twenty six, speaks to the strength of the core, but it also of your program. But it also speaks to the lack of of truly expansive looking at players. And I'm always one who will think, you know, if you want to see players, you have to find ways to see them. Maybe that means you don't bring in all your regulars all the time so you can see other players. Maybe you bring in a group. I remember specifically when they had the uh, Australia camp. I was very much vocal in terms of I think they should have, I thought they should have tried to use that camp as more of an NWSL camp or North American-based players, see those players. And then when they went to Europe and played Argentina and Morocco, I felt it would have been great if they looked at some of the European players because then at least that would have given Bev a chance to see instead of only seeing, you know, 30 players, maybe she could have seen 45 players. And in doing so, then she has a better idea of her depth. She knows players she's going to call in. And that makes her getting ready for this summer's World Cup a little bit easier to see. And that's working within the confines of you don't have a lot of money. You don't have the budget necessarily to work through. But I'm I'm never going to blame a coach who's working with a budget for how she selects squads and only goes back to the well because, I mean, do you have time to experiment or do you just take the players that are there and run with it because this is the only opportunity you have? So I I feel for the players there. I feel for the players and some of the fans as well from the standpoint of they weren't going to have a friendly on home soil before the World Cup. You couldn't even have a proper send-off now, the men didn't, well, the men squandered their chance because, you know, labor disputes, you know, so what are you going to do? But the fact that you had a team ranked six in the world coming off winning the Olympics, and yes, I know. At some point, you're Olympic champions until you're not. I don't want to harp on it, but it's true. That is what they are. And you're not setting them off with a home game at least, meaning the last time they would have played at home would have been a friendly before CONCACAF W. It, it's it's a little. It just feels a little bit like we aren't focusing in on the opportunities, and this to me, ultimately, always falls on a federation. And when I look at Canada soccer specifically, it just feels <laughs> like we've had opportunities. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna talk about funding that you're missing, right? We had a team win the Olympics, gold medal, and we weren't the cupboards were in stock for them granted it's a pandemic sure i understand that but the cupboards aren't stocked for them where you can recoup some of those costs right you have kits that you're looking for just to purchase that seem like you were pulling teeth to find right you're you're there's there's merchandise there's support there, there's aspects, and yes, I know they brought in the Canada Red program and for you know trying to get sponsorship, which essentially works like the Voyagers in that sense. But if, if you're going to do that, you might as well just stay with the Voyagers and kind of run it that way. But it just felt that every time something was coming, they missed the opportunity to strike while the iron was hot. And in doing so, they lost out on opportunities to really benefit really grow financially the kit thing just kills me because like you get the new kits now the funny thing to me is like the black kits for example like Loki the woman wore black kits like a couple years earlier or a year earlier they weren't the they weren't the uh black on black but they they had uh white stripes down the seam but they had black kits then they wore them i was just like you've had this concept for a while but you weren't prepared to have them sold even for me trying to find a kit it went from disappearing to when it finally came back then you know you have price gouging that's happening right now right we saw ticket prices for the men's uh nations league game go up and i mean you have the cheapest nosebleeds at 30 dollars, whereas anything on the pitch is upwards of 100 130 plus So there's just this notion of we're going to get into this game now. And all of a sudden, now you've missed when the iron was hot there. Like the fact that they didn't sell many, if any, of the gold numbered kits, even there except the pride kits, there was there's a market for stuff like that. And that's something they could have taken advantage of, but they haven't. So it's hard for me to really feel bad for the CSA. Then you get into like the CSB, where the money is. The national teams are essentially funding your domestic league. And to to give perspective on how I feel about that, I mean, I'm a Ghanaian. And one of the big uh, World Cup controversies in Ghana is that uh, the federation paid seven board members who went to the World Cup of the Ghana F- Football Association, the GFA, they gave them a 100000 each of their World Cup monies. And the local league was like, well, with that money, you could have paid for our refs for three years. One, one board member would have paid the refs for three years. And so you look at things like that and you think, okay, that's mismanagement of funds. But at the same time, I think if you have a domestic league, it shouldn't be reliant on the national team and the money that's brought in. Sometimes you get supplemented, it, but it has to be able to function on its own, right? Anything that is always built on money co- coming in, which is really more of a, what, not even investments, but just additional funds. Anything coming in like that should be additional funds. It should be able to look at how it is self-sustainable. And, I mean, for me, looking at the CPL, there are issues. I mean, if you want to talk from the equality standpoint, sure. Where's the women's part of it? I don't think the CPL is the best league to run a domestic league in Canada. And that's personally for me. Again, I know there people will say that's the idea. You're asking for my opinion? I don't necessarily think it's the best idea just because for me I don't necessarily like the MLS model, right? Because this that's like the conversation when you're looking at what the type of teams and what type of league you're trying to build, right? If you are you trying to build a league with academies that can build players up, that can move them up and you can develop why are you just trying to have franchises? Because to me, the MLS are franchises. And even if you look at the CPL, now granted, not fair to judge the CPL on its first five years where it survived the pandemic, um, which really slowed it down. It's now contained to regain its footing. And it's kind of found its footing as what it is, as that transition league that can get you into, you know, it can get you into a decent league, not necessarily a, a tier one league, so to speak, but maybe like a tier two or tier three, it's a good stepping stone to get you to like an MLS next pro if you're young or get you to, you know, a Scottish Premier League as we've seen players go or maybe a, a second tier league or a team in League 1, Ligue 2 in France. It's moving players, but in terms of developing, giving pathways, that's where I think it's lacking. It'll take time to build. And do you have necessarily time to do that? If you're going to compare how Canada is doing and use its performances at youth tournaments as any type of a marker, which is a bit flawed because youth tournaments are just a snapshot of your program. They aren't necessarily an indictment of your program. They're a snapshot. That doesn't mean the picture will develop. It won't. You got to shake the Polaroid. And maybe it turns out maybe it doesn't. But you don't see academies. In CBL teams right which is why I think if you're gonna go from that standpoint you're probably better off trying to build it with teams who've already established and my thought process has always been for domestic league for the women in Canada are you better off building from scratch and I fully support Project A but when you look at Project A are they better off building from scratch are they better off saying like they've done so far foothills you have a club you can invest why not su- suple- supplement that Vancouver Whitecaps women? Supplement program like that. Maybe you go to Vaughn. Maybe a CPL team wants to jump on. Maybe one of the MLS squad, another MLS squad wants to jump on. Why not help elevate programs which are doing well versus trying to start programs? And you can get success from that. Don't get me wrong. But for me, I think that's where you have to kind of find the balance a bit in terms of what works and what doesn't. And when it gets to CSB, the main question, kind of transitioning back to it, is just a notion of just transparency. And I think no one would, I don't think anyone would debate that, right? I think you have some sites who are thinking, you know, it's unreasonable here. You have the people who think, why are you complaining, blah, 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 blah. I mean, the same thing we said about the men in the summer last year, you know, the goodwill that they may have built may be gone, but it's a lack of transparency for me. And I think with the CSB, that's the question. I've always looked at it from a standpoint of if you weren't planning on monies and then you got monies, but then you still can't afford to pay things, who do you owe money to? Right. And that's been my CSB question always, right? Because if you look at the men, for example if you couldn't afford to pay bonus monies that weren't accounted for because you needed that money to do who knows what. They haven't told us. They had debts and bills. But if we don't know what that is, then it makes you just feel like, you know, who do you owe money to? Like, what loan truck is coming after you? And it's difficult because on the one hand, you have things like One Soccer, you have the CPL who are beneficiaries of the CSB. But then you see, you know, Other things. I'm a big proponent of running camps, especially on a youth level. We're not you're not seeing those. Right? We're supposed to celebrate when we run a camp six months before a youth tournament while we watch other teams yes, other teams with other resources, but other teams decide, you know what? When do we start to prepare for the U seventeens? When this current tournament ends. You know, get a group together, send them somewhere, go to the States, train, see players, go over to Europe play friendlies against teams, test their abilities, and then you allow a coach to see a variety of players, and ultimately then you can build a squad from there. It's tough, but I I think looking at the CSB question, if there was any level of transparency, it'd be easier to have a conversation. But both on the men's side and the women's side, I think rightfully so, asking for clarity in terms of what that number breakdown is. And especially looking on the women's side, giving them the resources they need to perform at a World Cup coming. This is a World Cup year. And I think they deserve all the resources that they can. And it's not a thing. The interesting thing is this theme of cutting back on what you've spent isn't just a Canada soccer thing, right? The company that I work for, that's a conversation we're having. I have friends in different businesses in different sectors who are all sounding the same. No, last year was let's invest and push in. This year is the year of let's try to get a return on that investment or let's try to make as much as we can by spelling, spending as little as possible. Does that always work? No. But they have an opportunity to kind of build and grow, but it's tough. So I'm curious to see how this kind of does break down. I know there's points that I've probably missed will come back to me, but I, I'm hoping that there's a resolution found because heading to a World Cup year, plus after that they do have Olympic qualifiers, you need some sort of resolution there. On top of that, you have Nations League for the men's. You have the Gold Cup for the men's that's happening. Who are you bringing in for that? How is that team breaking down? You know, Rumblings of maybe a, another U-20 or U-17 tournament that they can find themselves in. How are you funding for those things? These are the questions you have to kind of answer within the budget and if all the money coming in is diverted somewhere else there's a forwards magazine where it came out and i think it says it best the notion of as noble as it is at some point the needs of the league are going to come in conflict with the teams and i think we've reached that point so i don't know how this resolves itself i just hope it does in a way where the players are able to benefit, not only the players today, but the players following after them. But also putting the federation in a position where it can succeed because it's entering a very important three-year window. Right, They're hosting a the World Cup, which means <laughs> the, door, the world is coming to our doorsteps. How are we going to prepare? How are you going to welcome them? Yes, our warts are going to come out. There's no doubt about it we'll be talking conversations about how canadians have dealt with the indigenous that's going to come we're going to have that how are we dealing with building those bridges within communities uh, who are marginalized we're we're going to have those conversations because everyone who had conversations about qatar and how what its policies were those people who were criticized are going to come back and say hey (laughs) <laughs> so what about the aboriginals in your country uh, should you guys be hosting things what about uh, the treatment of um, <laughs> immigrants coming to the country do we want to talk about that those conversations are going to come but ultimately it's about us making sure we're not only prepared for that but then earnestly doing things to prepare how we host this world cup coming up and it's more than just the world cup I get that But we got to do better, and I'm hoping we can get a resolution out of this. As I excel here, and just kind of think out loud, I don't even remember what I've talked about so far. We've talked a little bit about format changing. We've talked a little bit about the women. (laughs) We've talked. We've talked. So U-17s, how do I feel about the U-17s? I don't hate the U-17s. This team has felt like it's starting to peak at the right time. Again, as I said earlier, to, to to judge a group of players, right? And when we were having conversations about the U20s, for example, the women U20s at the FIFA World Cup for them, we were bringing up points about, well, they don't have professional minutes and so they'll have this. And I said all those points. And one of the other things I said was, but then we're also evaluating a country's development program off of three days of tournaments play in seven days. Great. Right? The thing, when you look at FIFA, CONCACAF tournaments specifically, they are built for teams who try to win tournaments and not games. So what I mean by that is bring in the players that you can trust. If you're going to go to a CONCACAF tournament and you only trust 15 of the 20 players you brought, you're basically limiting yourself to at best a quarterfinal ceiling because you're playing games every other day, need to rotate the squad and keep them fresh. And that's something that the women learned on their side, right? We saw that with the U20s, the U17s rotating heavily. And the thing... They have the depth to do it. Yes, on the women's, you have a bit more disparity in terms of talent gaps. But if players weren't playing well, you have at least the option to say, you know what, I'll play you for a half, and if you're not making it work, we can always take you off and put on our our regulars. Have I liked the distribution of minutes for, um, for Canada? I haven't hated it. I haven't loved it either. I would have loved to see more wholesale changes. I mean, granted, they got two wins and a loss, and now they're on the verge of one one away from making the World Cup if they're able to come across a very underrated Puerto Rico side who, like we said, made the qualifiers. But when you get to these tournaments, it's about keeping the players as fresh, and especially this one being played in Guatemala again, so you have altitude to deal with. Then you have playing every other day, so you have that fatigue to deal with. It's not impossible. But where it gets difficult for players is that, and coaches, is if coaches don't trust the players, to me, I'm almost from a standpoint of why do you bring them? I'd rather, and it sucks to say it, you always want to have the best players, right? You're always looking at, like, Canada and saying, why didn't this player from here come and play? Right? I'm looking at can ask myself, "Why isn't Ruben Desau playing more? Why haven't they come through, right? But it's about just finding the balance and moving it forward, right? Kar Bojovic has looked good and played good, but Eric Pop, has you know, put in work. How do you maintain that balance and making sure you're playing a good player, but then also keeping that player fresh? right? Alejandro Biello has looked good. Liam McKenzie has looked good. Antoine Njai has looked good. But how do you then find the balance between wanting to play and going from there? And I think when you're looking at these type of terms, if you're trying to win a tournament like this, it's not necessarily only about the squad. It's about having a coach who trusts the squad that he has selected. And if he's able to do that, he or she, depending on if it's women or men's, I think that gives the players and the team the opportunity to go a little bit further. Because then once you're able to do that, then it's just a conversation of keeping players fresh and getting results. So let's go through Canada's results real quick. So Canada and Group F first started off playing Trinidad and Tobago. Um, they started off with a 3-2 win. Two goals from Kyler Godovich and then Omezi in the 61st minute coming in. Good result. They then beat Barbados 2-0. An Alessandro Bielo penalty and Eliya McKenzie finish. Game in a 2-0 win. And then lost to the United States with a 64th minute goal from Kaila Figueroa. Figueroa, my bad. I do want to talk about the U.S. game, though. This is a thing for me. Sometimes when you watch Canada, and again, this is by no means, this is more tactics than anything, so this is not on the players, per se, but there there is confidence with them, and to compare the women versus the men, it's not necessarily not fair, but... There's something that I at least noticed, right, with the women, especially the U-17 girls. And the game I always refer back to was their game, the first game in the round of 16. They played Honduras. Honduras went up on them 1-0. Um, Honduras made it in the qualifiers. And they had rotated their squad. They weren't looking good, made changes, and they came in. And the thing that I noticed about that team was <laughs> – If all else failed, they were were just going to press you, and that's what they did. Moving the ball, they didn't look good. Their touches weren't the best. Now, the the pitch wasn't at the best condition, but it didn't matter who they were playing. If their game wasn't playing well, it was just, we don't have the ball, fine. We're just going to press you. They at least had that identity. And then they play the U.S. And then when they play the U.S., it just turned into, let's just sit back and defend. And it's like they have this energy about them where it's, we think we're better than everyone except for these number of teams. And we're going to show them all the respect by defending and keeping the score low. And there's a part of me that wants to channel... R.J. Barrett energy and say, I've never lost to the U.S., so I just want to, so yeah, they can be beat. Is that the right energy to have? Probably, probably not, you never know. But facing different types of teams, you just, they just decide we're just going to go back into a shell. Now, that's half on the team with possession, and that's half on a team deciding we will give you possession and we'll just defend with our hearts. And against the U.S. on the men's side, it felt well, Andrew Oliveri did that. And, I, I mean, if you're going to lose that game, I would have rather them lose that game trying to play a little bit more direct. I would have loved to see the team try to possess a little bit more. Well they try to see the team be a little bit more aggressive? I think that's a coaching decision, and you can't play fearful. Because if you play fearfully, the other team will take advantage of the space and the things you do. Even against Haiti in this round where Canada won 3-0, Haiti had chances. They just weren't, vi- they were not putting anything on frame. And that's kind of what left them in this their position where they lost 3-0. But by just what they were able to do, they just couldn't get balls on the frame and if they were able to do that i think it's a different game altogether but there's this notion i think going against a team like puerto rico Canada's is probably going to come up a bit more aggressive trying to take the game to them hopefully able to get a few goals early and just force puerto rico to come at them but puerto rico's side that they score goals <laughs> they are a side that knows that they can score goals so they will come at you whether they're down by three or whether they're down by one. They're going to play with the ability to score. And can you win that type of a game? Canada hasn't played that type of a game yet. So I'm curious to see if they're able to. Um, I think Puerto Rico will push them a lot more than people realize. I know it's the upset, but hey, you, they were able to pull it off, which means that side has quality to it. So I'm a little bit curious to see if they can win that type of a shootout game um, and go through. I think Canada definitely has the ability. The problem is that, again, you're dealing with 17-year-olds, young players in their careers. So they can create opportunities, but at the same time, those opportunities aren't as, say, consistent. To expect everything to be on frame with no questions no doubt about it. That's unrealistic. But I think a side like this is hungry to prove a point, and I'm very excited to see that's the results of those matchups going through. So, yeah, Wednesday, Canada's U17 plays Puerto Rico. Right now, I just turned on the telly, turned on the YouTube. El Salvador has got the game drawn with... Trinidad and Tobago in the eighty-fourth minute. It's two two there. Seeing to see what other results are there. Panama and Cuba are playing. They they weren't they were scoreless last I checked in. Chicken in real quick here. Kinda see what the results are there. But yeah, just quick thoughts. Quick, quick, quick thoughts. I said as my entire my quick thoughts turned into what? A solid 45 minutes of me talking. I hope this makes sense. If this doesn't make sense, I'm sorry. But yeah, those are just some quick uh, Canadian thoughts uh, going on here. Um, we I am looking forward to getting a few things going. We're going to get uh, our new Canadian citizen Nelson on the pod back again. Talk a little Premier League. Uh, talk to him a little bit about what's going on with Manchester United. We're also going to talk a little bit about Champions League. Prepping for the Women's World Cup and other just interesting football stories that are coming through. Guys, thank you for spending this uh, day with us. Uh, Canadians out there, happy long weekend. I hope you guys enjoy the time uh, with your families. Um, apparently, Lent starts soon, so I mean, I've, I've lost track of time this year. But that's all we have today, guys. If you haven't already, uh, get, leave us a review. Leave us a like here on the pod, whichever platform you're watching. And also check out our YouTube channel. Uh, we did put up a video, I did at least, on the new format uh, for youth tournaments in CONCACAF and what that will look like and what it means. So make sure you do check that out. And uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter, social medias from there. This has just been a question from the African Saying Thank you for spending some time with us. Enjoy the day whenever you listening to this. And until next time. Bye-bye for now.